Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is consent culture in church. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelo. I serve as the pastor of Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, now this is you. You yeah. have come up with this one. Mm-hmm. Why do you think this is an important thing for us to talk about? Hmm. Because consent is important everywhere. Yes. And consent in church is oftentimes not lifted up. No. No. So there are a lot of things that we do during church services that we don't really even think about the fact that we should be trying to get consent from folks beforehand. And it's hard because consent culture is I think, in my experience at least, I'll speak for myself, relatively new. Oh, totally. Right? I was not trained in seminary to ask before touching someone to give them a blessing. It was just what you do is you touch their forehead and you do the sign of the cross on their forehead. And there was no opportunity for that person to give consent to that touch. Now, we're taught about safe touch during counseling and how those kinds of things are covered. Okay. But I'm thinking a lot about worship space. Okay. And consent during worship. And how do we hold that? How do we do that? Or consent during fellowship hour or consent in the receiving line. Sure. There's lots of different places and spaces where we make a lot of assumptions about what is okay and what is not okay. And we need to stop that. Sure. We need to stop that. We need to learn how to give consent in church during worship. I feel like I walk an interesting line Mm -hmm. being a Midwesterner, which means I got a lot of personal body space, Mm -hmm. but I also grew up Catholic, at which point, because I was a girl, I wasn't allowed to do anything, so Mm -hmm. I was kind of invisible. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also an introvert, so I Mm -hmm. don't want anybody to touch me or talk to me anyway. (laughs) Right? So it's strange, but I guess you're correct that in a church setting, I just assume... Hands will be shook Mm -hmm. and certain things will happen. Yeah. Hands will be shook. People will give or take a hug. Sure. There's lots of different things that we do with kids, especially. I think that in churches, we oftentimes don't think about the bodily autonomy of children. Oh, no. So being able to help kids know that they have autonomy to be able to say yes or no about things Mm -hmm. is really important. In the same way that we're trying to teach kids to have bodily autonomy at family gatherings. Sure. You don't have to have uncle so-and-so give you a hug if you don't want one. Oh, that was always the worst. And a sloppy kiss from an old aunt. Right? Like you don't have to say yes to that if you don't want to, but that's all relatively new within our culture as we're trying to promote healthy, safe, consensual contact with other individuals. Yeah, because a few hurt feelings should not be what make you go through something that makes you uncomfortable. Absolutely. And some people will say, you're being too sensitive. You know, I've had some hugs from people in my years of ministry that they had more in mind than a hug. And that's inappropriate. Yeah, totally. That's inappropriate. And whether I was single at the time or whether I was engaged at the time or whether I was married at the time didn't make a difference to some people. Mm. And that's not okay. I've even trained fellow young female presenting pastors in how to like do the arm block. 
Oh, sure. Like there are honest to goodness techniques in how to manage the receiving line and how to hold your body and to hold and like redirect an open armed hug and things like that if it's someone who needs to be redirected because it's a part and parcel of church environment. Yeah. That shouldn't continue. Fascinating. So lots of practice. We need to be practicing things. And we need to be checking ourselves. It's hard. Sure. It's hard work. It's worth it, though. Okay, so the handshake thing leads us into the passing of the peace, which is one of the more obvious moments of contact, as it were. Mm -hmm. What are you recommending? One of the things that we can do as presiders is we can give options or opportunities for other things. Okay. So... Simply by saying, uh, let us share a sign of God's peace with one another. That can be a handshake, a hug, a high five, a peace sign, a fist bump, whatever works for you in this time and place. Okay. Right. And that gives people lots of options to be able to engage in it. It's easy to do that when it's cold and flu season, right? If you, yeah. If you're not comfortable bringing this in as a consent culture thing because you don't want to bring in the idea of sexual misconduct or that sort of peace into your worship environment— and that makes you nervous to talk about openly, then you can start it by saying, it's the cold and flu season. So let's keep that in mind as we're passing the piece today. Feel free to give a handshake or a hug or a high five or right. And you can start mm-hmm. down the line or a wave or whatever works for you. That way, if you set that during that time, people will continue it beyond cold and flu season. Sure. But it's been given permission. I struggle with this only from the standpoint of, I think, that Catholic upbringing has put into place Mm -hmm. a ritual and a thing that if you don't do that, by that I mean if you don't shake somebody's hand, Mm -hmm. then you're the strange, rude one sitting down Mm -hmm. throughout this whole thing. And that's hard to overcome. Yeah. I got years of training. And I would say I'm not saying to not participate in the passing of the peace. Okay. But I am encouraging people to choose their level of physical contact in the passing of the peace. Okay. That's fair. So when I am sick, when I'm not feeling well, I flash the peace sign to people from a distance. Mm -hmm. When they look at me kind of funny, I'm like, got a bit of a cold. Peace. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm still participating. I'm still making eye contact. I'm still finding reconciliation among God's body before we go to the table, which is the purpose of the passing of the peace. But I'm not making physical contact with people and spreading my germs all over the place. Okay. So that's the way that I engage in it. That also allows it to be normal when I can't get to the back row. Sure. That I can piece them from afar and they're still getting the same treatment as the people up close to me. Okay. So that allows some flexibility, and it really depends on how you read the people. A lot of kids don't want to shake hands, or they're anxious about making eye contact. But if you flash them a peace sign and a little look from the side, the three-year-old might, or the four-year-old who's shy and nervous might get a little grin. They are fascinating, the kids, because they can be bold as brass. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as you get down and you start talking to them or give them any kind of attention, zip. So overwhelmed. Totally. Right? And so to find ways to not force them into places where they're uncomfortable, where just that flashing the peace sign can really, I have found... As one way that they don't get so overwhelmed. Sadly, we forget that most adults have very similar feelings. We've just learned to mask them or Absolutely. deal with them differently. Yeah. Or 
force yourself to be touched or to be interacted with in a way that makes you uncomfortable and eventually could lead someone to stop coming to church. Yeah. Absolutely. So the passing of the peace is one of those quick areas and the receiving line is much the same. With the receiving line, it takes some skill in like reading body language and what people are willing to. Now you get this far more than I do because I'm usually lingering with some other people who are cleaning up the pews. Mm -hmm. I'm rarely there shaking your hand on the way out. Right. So it's really about reading body language at that point, but it shouldn't have to be. Like, uh-huh. it would be totally okay to say, can I shake your hand? Right. Wow, we just don't ever go there, do we? Or can I have a hug today? There are some people who will say, I would love a hug from you today. And that's great, because then I can consent mm-hmm. and offer the hug. Or I can say, ah, oh, yeah, I've got a bit of a cold, though. So today I'm just going to wave. Sure. Right, like, however, to kind of mediate that. But for each of us, I think as the rostered leaders, we get to model it. But as members and participants, I'm challenging us to really think about this with each other as well. Oh, and this is hard because I'm not a touchy-feely kind of person. And yet there are some, I'm going to say bad habits that I've slipped into and I need to learn to break them. One of the things that I've started doing and trying to remind myself to do is to ask permission before blessing someone. Mm. And to ask permission to touch their forehead Mm -hmm. before blessing someone. And that goes for children and adults, just asking permission. And when I don't ask permission now, I'm not touching their foreheads, which is awkward. It feels so awkward to me, but I want to abide by this. I want to receive consent before touching someone. So I'm working on it. It's still something in the moment that's hard to work on and hard to figure out how to do. I get it because the mom in me, the mothering part who has had to console the little ones and Mm -hmm. and been in that role for so long to now realize that that's not my child and I shouldn't necessarily be touching them even on the shoulder or the arm either to get attention or to do whatever Mm -hmm. because that's not necessarily my role. Right. And I have to be very open and upfront about that with myself. Yeah. Then there's other ways that we need to be getting consent, right? We have some students in our congregation right now who are at the age that they are coming into having their own communication devices. Sure. And so they want to text with me. Mm. And I will say that it's a great way for them to reach out and ask for prayer requests at odd times or those kinds of pieces. And so I explain to them the parameters of that so that they are consenting to understand what the parameters and the safe parameters are around that. And then I ask their parents. Sure. And I ask a parent in front of the youth so that the youth knows that the parent knows. Sure. And we talk about what I will keep in confidence and what I will not keep in confidence by law. Sure. And those kinds of pieces so that, again, that consent is there for me to be in private communication with a student. And knowing that I do it on things that always keep records. Sure. And I will not Snapchat with anyone, ever, period. End of story. (laughs) End of story. I won't communicate with people if there's no record. So that's another piece of consent that I think we are working on becoming more effective at in our world right now. It's so hard and so fascinating and so necessary. It is necessary because we see things like the pain and the betrayal that has happened through the Catholic Church. Oh, absolutely. 
that has gotten so much media attention. Well, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. They're the most obvious partly because of their system of patriarchy and whatever. Do you think they're the tip of the iceberg, or do you think they're their own little example because of the systems in place? I think they're the tip of the iceberg. Really? Yeah. Oh, that hurts my heart. I know. From my own experiences and my own knowledge of confidential events... Sure. It's the tip of the iceberg. And what do you think is the root cause of all this? Is it purely a consent thing? Is it more? It's more. I mean, I think consent works to help us counter the toxicity of our culture. Mm -hmm. And I think as many people research, there's a million different reasons why the abuses occur within our culture and within history. Sure. Right. These kinds of abuses are not something that is like brand new to the United States of America in 2019. Right. These are abuses that have been happening for centuries. Sure. All throughout history. And so I think consent is one way to battle against it and to create a place where there are more ways for it to not happen than there are for ways for abuses to happen. Sure. And so I think it's worth making it occur. I think there's probably a thousand reasons why abuses happen, financial or sexual or emotional or physical. Like those abuses happen for a multitude of reasons. Mm -hmm. On any given day, I might say, oh, it's all toxic masculinity that's done this to our world. Or another day I might say, it's the capitalism that's done this to it, or it's colonialism, right? We have a, a vast buffet available to us of why it is that broken relationships and broken behaviors happen. We know they happen in our churches and we know that our churches have a habit of covering them up. Yes. Sadly, that was the next part I was going to ask about why it's so hidden in the church. Shame. Mm, It's a powerful tool. It's so powerful. And a twisting, I think, of the gospel and a twisting of who Jesus is in Jesus's ministry and a twisting of our understanding of the scriptures. I think it's real easy to use the forgive as we have been forgiven as a way to silence people. Sure. And to shame victims into silence. And people with power who abuse that power will always seek to get away with it. And that's part of their own shame. And that's part of their own journey. And so it's just the brokenness of humanity. I say that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not willing to let it stay. Sure. <laughs> right. It's just part of the brokenness of humanity. Yeah. And we're not going to let it stay there. No, we're going to work on this. We're going to work on that. And we're going to create places where we teach children consent. We're going to create places where the male identifying children of our congregation don't have to grow up with toxic masculinity as their undergirding. We're going to create an environment where we can have strong and powerful voices from any of our children. And we're going to teach them all how to say yes and no, as is appropriate for them. And if we can do that for our kids, we can raise a generation that maybe won't have the same level of brokenness and shame and hurt and those pieces that we have dealt with. Well, let me ask you this. Partly this is coming up because in one of your children's sermons recently, Mm -hmm. you had asked for consent from the kids. Mm -hmm. 
I'm curious if you had any feedback from the adults about whether or not they thought it was necessary or why you would have done that. No, I haven't had feedback from them. It was my Easter children's sermon. Mm -hmm. And for folks who don't know, we played a game of telephone. And I told the kids at the beginning that they needed to check with the other person before they whispered in their ear to Uh see if they wanted to play the game. And they modeled it so beautifully. They really did. They modeled consent so beautifully. The rest of that children's sermon, I am not happy about because it put the kids on display in a way that they had not consented to. Okay. So in the game of telephone, I started out with God loves you no matter what, is what I whispered in their ear. Uh Uh-huh. But by the time it got down three quarters of the way, I think asking each other for consent really made it disappear even farther. Sure. And so what was remembered was, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And when the adult who was playing along and being with the kids said, I don't remember, the congregation laughed. And then I felt like my stomach dropped. I'm like, I just made a student vulnerable without their permission. And if they now feel like because they didn't remember what was said, that, that they they're terrible, failed, that they're terrible, I will never do that again. I will never use telephone again. For a children's sermon. Yes. Um, and but what will, you did with it was right, utterly delightful. I flipped it and I retrieved it, but there still might be sure. a child in that room. Who never wants to go through that experience mm-hmm. again. Never come up to children's sermon again. Bingo. Mm-hmm. And that was my failure. That was my failure. And I will, Fascinating. Even when you think you're doing the right thing and asking consent, it still can go awry. It still can go awry. Such right? a learning process. And so I offer that out there to folks to say this is all a learning curve. And what I hadn't thought about was just how many people, how many kids would be up there for Easter. Oh, yeah. Right? I just hadn't thought about it. That's a very complicating factor. And it's such a variable that you can have anywhere between 5 to 35. And it's such a variable that I had not factored that in. So I offer that story out to say... I loved that they practiced consent in church. Yes. I love it. And they did brilliantly asking each other and just passing one another without any kind of bullying or you shoulds or come on, don't be silly. Like they just asked and said, okay. And then asked the next person and said, okay. And it was Well, their reaction was delightful. My fear was in asking this question is that the older part of the congregation would not understand why you would even go through that process. But I think we're starting to be a little more aware as a culture, at least in particular areas. Maybe. And it may be that they didn't even notice it. I don't know. Some folks may not have even noticed that that was happening. May just remember the telephone game and understanding that our messages don't always make it from one place to another. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? And that's what the point of the children's sermon was, because the women... you. Telling the story of Jesus raising up hadn't mm-hmm. been believed. The message got bumped somewhere, but the story still made it out somehow. So the use of it was fine, but, yeah, you know, consent, especially with kids involved, is such a complex piece to continue to work on and piece to continue to grow with. And I commend it to every single one of us out there. That's excellent. And it's going to lead me into my last question distilling this all down, Mm -hmm. if there is one thing that you want people to take away from this podcast and start using either at church or anywhere, Mm -hmm. what do you think it is? I think I would say 
One thing. One thing. Looking for one thing. Well, I know. It's hard. You can do more than one. Uh, it's okay. I want to come down to one. If you have asked someone to do something and they say no, stop right there. Yeah. So if you've asked a child if they want a cookie and they say no, stop. If you've asked a teenager if they want to help with XYZ and they say no, a church, stop. Mm-hmm. I know that there is a point, and I have parented a teenager, <laughs> so I know there's a point at which you want to just keep badgering. Oh, yes. And saying, you don't have a choice in this. You're going to do this. I know that you're saying no to doing your homework right now, but that's not an option. That's fair in some moments, but if it is about a religious practice... If someone has said no, let them say no, because if you force them to participate in a religious practice that they don't want to, they're going to resent you and they're going to resent God. And that's not a healthy relationship with the divine. So as much as possible, and I know that parents want to force their kids to come to worship, I Mm -hmm. get it because we want to have our families together and kids are going to say no, but down the line, they're going to wish they had been Mm -hmm. involved or... Right, those kinds of pieces. But when it comes to some of these activities, if a student or a child has said, no, I don't want to, please don't force them. Please don't bully them. Please don't coerce them. Take it at face value. Take it at face value and then invite them again the next time. Because the next time, maybe they can say yes with an open heart. And that's what we want. We want open hearts in our churches and places where kids feel safe to be able to say no And then they can really say yes when they mean it. So that would be my first request. And that extends then to adults. Sure. That if you have asked them to serve communion and they say no, don't force them to serve communion. Let people's no mean no so that their yes can really be a yes. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about consent in church. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I, and thank you all for listening along. If you have a particular area of consent that you care about or a suggestion on how to go about this, a trick that you've used, something that has been very effective, we would love to hear about it. You can reach out to us at podcast at centralportland.org or reach us on Facebook at The Church Basement. We look forward to being back in your ears again sometime soon. Until then, remember, God loves you, no matter what.